Welcome back, everybody, to the Jerry Lawler Show. My name is Sean Reedy, joined, as always, by the King of Wrestling, the host of Monday Night Raw, Jerry the King Lawler, as we are all still living in these uh, crazy times, and there's been some crazy news this week we're going to get into. But uh, first off, King, how are you holding up under your state's lockdown and, and uh, life nowadays? Well, it's it's been tough, as I'm sure it has for everybody out there. Uh, you know, I, I just got a call, just a text just a few minutes ago before we started doing this from my my buddy that's um, down at Champion Orthopedics, Jeff Pipkin, who's a big listener to our show. And he's, of course, he's having to go to work every day at the uh, doctor's office. But he just just calling, checking in, saying, how you, how you holding up? Same thing you said. And it's it's weird. It's um, and I, I, t- I told him, you know, hanging in there. And I said, how are you? And he said, oh, my gosh, this this is tough because he's got four kids, I think. And um, and of course, everybody's, you know, everybody's quarantined in the house with their with their kids and doing homeschooling and all this this kind of crazy stuff right now. And uh, so I I my heart goes out to everybody. And I'm just hoping that's that someday soon they'll be able to kind of open things back up. Of course, I I have been back, you know, doing the doing the Monday Night Raw for a few weeks now and and uh, traveling uh a couple of weeks in a row that it was funny. The first, the first raw that I went back to there in Orlando, uh, I had to connect from flight from Memphis to Charlotte and then from Charlotte down to Orlando. And Oh my gosh, the, the airports was like a, it was like a ghost town. I think there were nine people on my flight from Charlotte to Orlando and which that's, you know, that's just crazy. Uh, nobody, everybody in first class, nobody was sitting next to anybody. You know, they had that, they had it all, they had so much space that they had that all figured out. But coming back this past week, uh, then I went, went, of course, went back again this past week, coming back from Orlando to Memphis, the flight from Orlando, and of course you connect to Atlanta. The flight from Orlando to Atlanta was, I'd say three quarters full. And then the flight from, uh, Atlanta to Memphis was packed. Every seat in first class. I'm sitting right next to somebody, and it just just it was back like uh, it was back like the old days. It was it was crazy. That's weird. Why was that one packed? Yeah. I don't know. Because I, you know, I, I, as I just, you were talking about that, I was thinking I think I had it already, and I can't get anybody sick. Maybe I should just hop on a plane by myself to Florida and hang out on the beach for a little bit or something. Yeah, yeah, the beaches apparently are back open in Florida. Matter of fact, we're, we're gonna we're gonna head back down to Florida probably next week and and hang out at the condo down there. But as I said before, it's like they, they, our our property management group at our condo had closed our had had thought that they were important enough to make the decision to close our our condo pool, the one that's like right out in front of my condo, and. Um, but I I think if I'm sure that if they open the beaches up in Florida, that I'm sure that the your own personal condo pool would be open. Hopefully, yeah. Have you made any new entertainment discoveries? Uh, I still have to catch up on Chitch Creek. I'm going to. I promise. Well, you know what? Just last night, Lauren and I watched the last, uh, the sadly the last episode of Shits Creek. Oh. And I mean, it's I know it's just and that and that is like. You know, we've sort of binged watched this thing, and we just became addicted to to the show. And then now, uh, you know, we was watching season one, season two, season, and of course, this is season six, and that's it. It's the end. 
they, you know, it's, they have their final show. No more, no more Shit's Creek after this. So it's a uh, kind of, kind of traumatic to see. I'm sure a lot of people have been binge watching all those crazy shows out there like Tiger King and everything. And it, it really has an effect on you when all of a sudden you come to the end of it and you realize, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, saying goodbye to a family member or something like that that you when you become become so close to these shows and then all of a sudden they're over. Well, I have the perfect example of being uh, crushed by uh, not having new episodes of something to watch. Uh, it's Memphis Wrestling. I spent four years where I'd watch like <laughs> yep. uh, four or five episodes a week and it was just so much fun. It was just my routine, seeing Lance and Dave. And then when I was, like, finished, I remember I was, like, dreading. I'm like, oh, I've only got about 20 episodes left. This is, uh, it was rough. I've missed uh, I've missed that because that was something that was just uh, a huge thing for me that I was doing all the time. And you're right. When it's over, it's like it was your routine, and now you got to find something new. Well, the Memphis wrestling went on for so long. I mean, you by the time you got to the end of it, I'm sure you could restart it. And it would be fresh again, you know, That's true. You, so much that it would be hard to remember all of that great stuff. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> I know we're going to talk, uh, want to talk a little bit about my buddy, Scott Bowden, who passed away this, this past week. Uh, and he was a, he was a big part of Memphis wrestling there for a few years. And I, we were just, uh, this is my, my son, Kevin came over, who was really close to Scott. Uh, he came over last night and he, Kevin and myself and Lauren sat down at the table and, and watched them, watched some old Memphis episodes that had Scott Bowden in it. And <clears throat> even for me, I mean, I'm sitting there watching this stuff and, and sort of remembering that, that, you know, I was the guy that told everybody what to say when they went to, right before they went out on their interviews. But, it, but w- when I watched it back, it was like so fresh. It was just like, I did, I, I, I don't know. I guess I did so much of it that I can't remember any of it. Uh, and, no and way you we could, were watching. You were going weekly for thirty years. There's no way you could remember it all, right? And and you know what? I would I realized this too. I was always and you you Jimmy Hart will tell you, uh, downtown Bruno, who I was talking to last night, will tell you. I am. I was always a last minute guy. You know when 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 I saw that Scott Bowden was fixing to go out and make it. You know had it set for him to go out and make an interview with with. Uh, Downtown, downtown Bruno. Uh, I didn't even I didn't even really think about it until like the segment before they were supposed to go out, and I would you know I would I would call them over there, and, and I would boom, I, just right off the top of my head, I would give them both you know the bullet points on what to say, and then uh, that was the great thing about that. You know, you didn't have to. You very seldom do you ever have to tell anybody exactly every word to say. You know, you just kind of give them. Some, I mean, you know, if you had a a certain line or something you wanted, you give them that and everything, but just give them some bullet points on, on what they were supposed to do, do to continue their storyline and boom, out they would go. So, and then I would just forget about it. And, and, um, you know, and it, it happened so often every single week. And then a lot of times every night during the house shows and everything. So, uh, I guess, I guess that part of uh, my memory just became so congested and everything that it, it just it fails me. Like I like I was saying, I was watching um, the, the Scott Scott Bowden going out and making these interviews with with Lance and Dave, and it was like like something watching something I'd never seen before. And I was laughing at Scott and and uh, laughing at Bruno and their, Bruno's wife Karen comes out, who was a major part of their 
of their uh, feud or angle or whatever. And, and, and you know, it's like seeing somebody again for the first time. There, I was like, golly, I didn't even, I was watching and listening to her. I said, man, I never realized what a, what a major Scottish ac- accent she had. It was, it, it was more, more than uh, uh, a stronger accent than, yeah, than Drew or even Nikki, uh, what's her name, Nikki Cross. Oh, yeah. I mean, bigger accent, you know, stronger accent than that. But yeah, it was, it was, it was fun to go back and watch that stuff. Well, yeah, let's let's talk about. We had a yeah tragedy in the Memphis wrestling family this week. Uh, Scott Bowden passed away. Uh, longtime, lifelong wrestling fan who worked his way into wrestling to become your manager. Uh, I, I pulled up a bio here that he wrote about himself uh, on his old uh, Kentucky Fried Wrestling site here. He said, uh, born in Memphis, Tennessee, I was raised on a steady diet of pork barbecue, Elvis Presley, professional wrestling, and Coca-Cola, and route to earning my B.A. in journalism at the University of Memphis. I juggled side jobs as a FedEx plane loader, university newspaper columnist, magazine writer, and TV bad guy manager for my childhood wrestling hero, Jerry the King Lawler. Worked with people like Austin and Rock, got a pinfall over Miss Texas. And uh, the whole thing he says here is he was a mild-mannered referee that turned heel thanks to some creative booking by the late Eddie Gilbert. So, and his Uh. whole gimmick that I actually believed was true because I didn't know why you would make this up because Memphis didn't have a rivalry with Ohio State or with uh, Florida State was the thing with him uh, being Bobby Bowden's nephew. I thought that was a shoot for a while, but yeah, a, a terrible tragedy. <laughs> someone who uh, looked up to you as a kid and then got to manage you as an adult. Yeah, it was amazing. I didn't. I, I guess I. I never really realized until now, after uh, Scott passing, what a. I don't. I don't know if even big fan is the right word. It's like somebody, it was, I guess, a big influence. I never realized what a big influence that I was on Scott throughout his entire life. But, I mean, I, and then I knew Scott ever since, uh, gosh, I guess when, when he was right in, in high school or maybe before he even, before he got out of high school, he, he was part of um, uh, a group of kids that, that hung out with my sons, Brian and Kevin, uh, they lived in, then, uh, when, when we got divorced, Brian and Kevin moved down with their mom back to Memphis. I stayed in Nashville for a while before I came back to Memphis, but they lived out in, they lived out in Bartlett, uh, nice little neighborhood, good school and everything. And they, they had a group of friends, uh, that, that kind of banded together. And of course here, you know, Brian and Kevin's dad, I'm on TV every Saturday morning. And, and so it was hard to, you know, it was hard to, uh, escape that that influence so these their friends formed uh, wound up forming which i guess at the time would be or later on was called backyard wrestling but they these guys uh formed their own little wrestling company they call it the uh nwa the neighborhood wrestling association and they all had their they they had little outfits made and they had they they put together a ring and and, and I mean, they, they really went, it, it just kind of one thing led into another and it got bigger and bigger. I mean, Kevin started doing, doing the commentating and, and, uh, Brian and his friend Tony Williams wrestling and, um, and they would come up with all these different names for all their characters. And I'll never forget one of the funniest things about it. He said, 
and Scott Bowden was one of the guys, and of course, and then Clyde, Comedy Clyde, Nick Nick Nahad was this one kid's name, and um, uh, he he was he was part of the organization. They all had these different wrestling names, and they sort of ran out of they. My one funny story that they told me they sort of ran out of different names to uh, to you know for different wrestlers of different characters, and so this one kid, uh, Kevin, just came up with the name. They called him Mr. Do Some Stuff because he could just like he could do a lot of do you know he could do a lot of their different moves and everything. But but Scott Bowden was a part of that, and so uh, he had, and he was friends with Brian and Kevin, um, and of course the Tony Williams, as I said, was part of it. And then Brian and Tony Williams started. I I started booking them um, as as wrestlers uh, on on the show later on, and then uh, my son Kevin, I started booking him as a referee. And then somehow uh, I, I'm looking that Scott was telling me or Scott was saying that, um, I don't know, something came up somewhere and he was kind of helping us backstage with something. And all of a sudden we needed a referee and I apparently threw him out there to to be the referee. And that's how he got his foot in the door. And, of course, you know, it, things it went on from there to uh, all the way to what was he said fulfilling a lifelong dream he became at one point my manager uh on on memphis tv and and at the coliseum and all that sort of stuff so uh yeah and then and then gosh a little later on he moved out to california he was going to be a big movie star going to be in the film industry and he did work some in the film industry out there and and uh he stayed out there all this time but he's you know he'd been a uh just a diehard Memphis wrestling fan and uh, put together a, uh, he had, a, I guess he had a podcast and he had this uh, website called Kentucky fried wrestling. If you want to check it out, it's still all up there. And his, his Facebook was all about Memphis wrestling. And, and I was just, I was just talking to him last week. Uh, he, he, he also had uh, Memphis wrestling tees. He did Memphis wrestling t-shirts and uh, he had just made some new, Jerry Lawler T-shirts, and he had just come up with and had just sent me a couple of uh, of masks, you know, like for this for the coronavirus mask everybody's having to wear. He had these Jerry Lawler or King uh, mask printed up, and and he was, you know, saying the, he wanted to wanted to try to try to market them through That's his website and wanted to be, yeah, I mean, and and they're they're really cool too. And I, and I was just, you know, we were, we were going back and forth with emails just the last couple of weeks. And then, um, I, I had an email from him and I was supposed to <clears throat> put, put up the, um, the pictures that he sent me of the mask on Twitter the next day. And, uh, this was, this was like Monday night. And then all of a sudden when I got off a of raw Monday night is when I heard the news about, about the fact that he had passed away. Yeah, uh, it's a terrible thing. Um, what are your memories of that time period of him being such a, a big heel in the promotion and then eventually managing you and, and living that childhood dream? Oh, well, I mean, Scott and I always had a, a uh, heck, I don't know. I mean, I always, of course, looked at Scott as like as like Brian and Kevin, almost like, you know, one of my kids who uh, – I, I felt like I was giving them a big break to let them get involved in the business that they, that they, uh, you know, that they love so much. And, 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 uh, Scott was, I don't know, Scott had a, a kind of a funny attitude. Scott was like a, 
as Dave Brown, I was talking to Dave the other day, and he said Scott was always a smart aleck, and so it would, which which made his character, uh, you know, that he played on that he played on TV as the, the, the as the heel wrestling manager. That was really the way Scott was in real life. I mean, he would he would get he could get on your last nerve if you weren't careful, and and he he kind of. He knew how to push my buttons back in the day too, you know. So, so Scott and I, I mean, like I said, he was. I didn't even. I, I, I don't know. I didn't even like think of him as a, as a friend. I thought of him as just like one of the, one of my one of my kids, like just like Brian and Kevin, you know. Um, and so anyway, I, I as far as his work went. I obviously, you know, I obviously was a fan of that or I wouldn't have, I would have never made him my manager. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought, you know, I thought he, I thought he was uh, uh, just, uh, that, and I do remember sometime telling him at the beginning, I said, he said, well, what I do out there, what I say, and <laughs> usually this is the worst advice you can give to anybody. But in Scott's case, it was the, the, the perfect advice. I said, Scott, just be yourself and people will hate you. That's, that's, that's what I told him, and uh, you know he never let me. He never let me forget that. It's like the Jim Cornette advice, uh, right? Yeah. So so but, so but we all he and I had that kind of a uh, relationship through all the years. I mean, friendly, but always you know always uh, kind of teasing each other all all the time. You know, he was he was like never never really never serious or anything. Yeah, and he was, uh, you know, a really great talker, um, you know, really uh, one of the better managers that you had there in like the mid to late 90s, um, you know, just uh, such a such a sad thing, 48, and, uh, you know, everybody can, can relate to some sort of a tragedy like that, so condolences to family, friends, everybody affected. He was such a great ambassador for uh, for Memphis Wrestling. He did so much to like find old promos that you did in the seventies, oh. and he he wrote columns that just you know totally conveyed how exciting this stuff was to live through. Um, everybody, yeah, everybody he, loves he, Memphis he, like, Yeah, he was like. Um, there's a few guys around. There's always been a few guys around that, and, I, and I'm I'm the worst. My memory is just the worst on like. I, and I and I just realized that what I talked about a while ago, I just I guess I did so much of it that that it was hard for any any one thing to stand out to me, you know, because it was just a day in day out day in day out job, and I and I and so my memory on all of these different things, the the details is not that great, but there's been three guys, Mark James, you know Mark James, you've heard of Mark James sure. here in Memphis. He's he's a historian, Memphis wrestling historian. And then Antonio Braxton, uh, my my buddy Tony, uh, he is he is another whiz. I mean, I had him on my TV show and called him the professor because he has like a photographic memory and 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 uh, was so into Memphis and still is so into Memphis wrestling that he could remember anything. And the other one was Scott Bowden. I mean, Scott was this, the, those three guys. If I needed any in information between the three of them, they they could remember and knew everything about Memphis wrestling. It was crazy. And you know, it's so interesting when I'm thinking about Memphis in those days because, like, uh, you know, over the weekend we had the big Chicago Bulls documentary and all this stuff about Michael Jordan. And when I was a kid in the '90s who loved basketball, Michael Jordan was my childhood hero. Who, you know, I watched win titles and conquer his opponents. But in Memphis, for people like Scott. 
you were that person. You were the local sports team, basically the local big star. There's no pro sports or anything. So you were you were there, Michael Jordan or whoever you want to think of there, Tom Brady, anybody like that. And you know what? It's it's funny the fact I look back and I hear you say something like that, and I do realize that that's the way a lot of people looked at it. But and I uh, unfortunately I just sort of took that for granted, and the fact that I I always looked at where I always looked at myself as being so lucky and so fortunate and being in the right place at the right time to be where I was uh, to get into the business. And then once I was in it, um, I don't know. I, ju- I just always I always looked at it as I, I didn't I didn't take it as serious as I should have because to me it was never like work. It was never like um, it. Vince McMahon once told me he said, "Man, King, everything seems to come easy to you. I mean, like you can do everything uh, everything connected with the business well." And and it, and and sort it did just sort of come easy to me, you know. Uh, I, and I guess that was like from starting around being around somebody like Jackie Fargo and uh, with Lance Russell and Dave Brown and that sort of thing, and just picking up on uh, you know the, the different things here and there. But I I just sort of I, I really look back and say I, I took it all for granted and didn't and didn't um, didn't make or didn't let it make lasting memories. I, I just kind of went from day to day on all of those, all of the matches and all of the people that I met and, and, and all of that stuff and everything that happened to me in the business is just now when I sit back and look at, I, I mean, I can't even believe that, that how long I've been in the business. I just, I just sent out a tweet a minute ago or re- replied to a tweet. Uh, also Mike, Mike Mooneyham put up a tweet that said on this date today, 46 years ago, Jerry Briscoe defeated Jerry Lawler in a match in Macon, Georgia. Okay, I'd love to and see I, that match. I, yeah, well, I mean, I just looked at that and I thought, and I, I tweeted out, I said, I said, Mike Mooneyham has waited all of these years to deliver this uh, earth-shattering announcement about this bombastic match that happened 46 years ago, which, I, you know, if I don't remember it, nobody could, <laughs> nobody could remember that. You know, I mean, it's like, to me, all of this stuff just was like, who cares? But in reality, a lot of people did care. A lot of people did do remember that sort of stuff. But I'm not one of them, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, well, it would be impossible for you. I mean, doing a, a main event every week and a TV show every week for all those years, how could you possibly? You're only going to remember like the, the very top stuff, I would guess, just the craziest stuff. Well, you know what? I, I don't know. I think it is sort of me about some things because, like, Jr. Oh my gosh, Jr. Can remember everything. I mean, you know, from the start of his career. I mean conversations that were had with different people. I mean, you look, read JR's books and everything and, and you realize this guy's memory is like a steel trap. I mean, I, 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 chew. I, I don't know how, I don't know how people do that. I mean, and I have to, you know, if somebody had told me, like I'm, I'm sitting there watching, <clears throat> sitting there watching some of those old tapes and the, the, the one we were watching was Scott Bowden and cutting a promo on, on uh, downtown Bruno about uh, apparently the storyline was 
that downtown Bruno was newly married. He met this girl over in Scotland. This was for real. And so we made a kind of a deal about it. And then, and then she came, moved, married Bruno, moved to the United States. And then, of course, that for some reason, uh, Bruno lived, <laughs> Bruno lived in a trailer park in Walls, Mississippi. And I don't think she realized, uh, the kind of lifestyle that she was getting herself into. But anyway, so we, we sort of made a angle out of that on TV. And so we had this deal where apparently Bruno's wife, Karen, was writing, secretly writing love letters to Scott Bowden. And, uh, right. And so, and so Scott, the one we were watching last night, Scott comes out and he's got this letter. Uh, actually, it was a poem that supposedly Karen had written to him. And it was so freaking funny. It was about Bruno, you know, and talking about him being tra trailer park trash and talking about his body and I just all this kind of stuff. It was just really, really hilarious. And, and when I was watching it, I had no memory of that at all. I mean, if somebody had come to me before they, they, before we started watching that and said, Hey, do you remember, you know, do you remember when Scott Bowden and Bruno had this angle on TV where, where supposedly Karen was writing love letters to Scott? I mean, you could have put a gun to my head and I would have had to say, no, I don't remember that. I just I don't remember. Yeah. And then that that's why it's so cool for me to go back and watch this stuff, because it's like it's like it's all new again to me. <laughs> and I'm worried that's that sort of sounds like uh, the old joke about people that have Alzheimer's. You know, they can hide their own Easter eggs. Well, I'm that I'm sort of that way about our old Memphis wrestling shows. Well, you got a lot of great entertainment ahead of you if you want to keep diving in. I can tell you that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, back to Scott. um would it be fair to say that uh, he, like you said, he kind of had the same personality backstage as on camera? I don't know if that was like a defense mechanism or, you know, just him being young, but perhaps some of the veterans um, could get rubbed the wrong way by him back in those days. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. That was, that was, um, I, I don't know if it was, I don't think it was a defense mechanism. I think that Scott was really that arrogant okay. and that cocky. And that uh, that was really him. Like I told him, you know, trust me, Scott, go out there and be yourself and everybody will hate you. And he thought, he, you know, he thought I was joking. But, um, yeah, that, that was that was his personality. And uh, it came out. It, it worked perfect on TV. It came out great. You know, he was that he was sort of the, uh, the the sort of the spoiled rich kid. That was his that was his deal, you know, because Germantown, Tennessee at that time, especially that was the. That was where all the rich people that lived in Memphis, they lived in Germantown. And, of course, that's all he talked about. I, you know, me and my daddy's from Germantown. We live out in Germantown. And, um, and then, poor, of course, downtown Bruno was living in a trailer park, for real, in Walls, Mississippi. So, I mean, you know, the, and, and that, that kind of stuff really, it, it really worked. And I think Scott, actually, Scott did not, of course, did not grow up in Germantown. He grew up in Bartlett with my, with Brian and Kevin you know, just in a modest little neighborhood and everything. So, uh, so he, he, he knew how to, he knew how to, uh, press people's buttons and, and make them dislike him. Yeah. And I have one Scott Bowden story. He was actually responsible when, it, before I started with you and I was doing the podcast first with Jerry Jarrett and then did, uh, Randy Hales. He, um, organized a trip for him and Jerry Jarrett to go to the Mid South Coliseum because they were doing tours hosted by these guys who were trying to uh, get the place open back up in some sort of capacity. 
So somehow, uh, me, I, I I wanted to meet Jerry Jarrett and Randy Hales anyway since I was doing the show. So I went down to Nashville, and we went to uh, Memphis. We went to TV5, and we went to the Mid-South Coliseum and, and toured everything. But unfortunately, Scott had like a family thing that came up, so he couldn't join us. So I never got to meet him. But it was because of him that I was climbing around the catwalks at the Mid-South Coliseum, and I was hanging out with Jerry Jarrett at TV5, and it was a fun trip. Yeah, Scott uh, and Jerry Jarrett, uh, I mean, I, was, I didn't speak with him, but we texted back and forth uh, just the other day about Scott. And and Jerry, as you know, you do a podcast with Jerry, and I guess you guys have had Scott on a couple times. And uh, Jerry Jerry thought a lot of Scott. He really he really did. Of course, that, and that's what I used to tell Jerry. I said, you know, you know, you, Jerry, you live up in Nashville or in Hendersonville, and Scott's down here in Memphis around me and Brian and Kevin all the time, and so you don't, you don't really, you just only have to see him once a week. That's how you can put up with him. That's how you like him and everything. But uh, you know, I, I have to put up with him all the time. But Scott was just, uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's just such a shame for. I mean, he's only forty-eight years old, and. I mean, it's just one of these things. Nobody, nobody saw this coming at all, and I'm just—I uh, don't even—I don't even know what to say about you know. I, I feel bad in the fact that uh, I, I owed him and I owed him an email, you know, when he passed away. I mean, he we he and I were 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 contacting each other back and forth about these masks and that sort of thing. But it was—I I was waiting a couple of days. I, I owed him an email back. Uh, and didn't get back with him for a couple of days, and then all of a sudden he passed away. And I'll just, you know, I just I regret that. I just I feel I feel bad about that. I just, I, you know, it's just one of those things that you just you just hate. And poor Kevin, my son Kevin, I mean, he would speak to Scott. He told me he he was probably Scott still Scott's closest friend that he had back in in Memphis and back involved with wrestling. And he said they would they would talk on the phone every day. And uh, this just came as a real shock to him, and just nobody, you know, just nobody could see this coming. Shame. Yeah, it is terrible. Uh, once again, condolences to family, friends, everybody affected. Way too young. Uh, just really sad for the Memphis family. And uh, I guess that's all we can we can say about that. Just terrible. Yeah, and and there's there's probably some people around the country that are listening, around the world that are listening to this podcast right now that have never heard of Scott Bowden. Uh, and, and they're probably wondering why we're taking so long to, to talk about it. But uh, if you if you ever wonder or want to know who we're talking about, I think it's still up. You can look up Kentucky Fried Wrestling. He has on YouTube channels, and and um, uh, he I think his Facebook. His, Lauren was just showing me something on his Facebook uh, last night. A real close up picture of him wearing the the COVID nineteen mask with my my face on it. Uh, that uh, I, I hadn't even seen that picture until last night, and I said, "God, where'd you, where'd you find that?" She said, "It's on Scott's Facebook page." So you check out Scott Bowden Facebook and Kentucky Fried Wrestling uh, on YouTube, and and you'll you'll get to know Scott Bowden, who was a pretty cool guy. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's uh, well said there. Uh, also, your week has been interesting in other ways. You had another one of these Monday Night Raws at the Performance Center with uh, no crowd. Yeah. Uh, how was Monday? Just the, the same as usual at these shows? Yeah. You know, every, every, it's, got, it's getting into kind of a routine. Uh, you know, everybody just 
gets there kind of early in the day and uh, every you know everybody has their job to do everybody knows what they're doing uh, to some people it's like myself and uh, I kind of hang out with Mark Carano and John Cohn and and sometimes there's just not a lot to do so the days kind of pass by pretty slow until it gets you know pretty close to the eight o'clock start time of the show and uh, then bang you just you just sit up there and and do the show. And I, you know, I, I got, I got to admit that like when you're, when you're there and you're doing the commentary and we're doing it like we, like we've been doing raw where we're sitting, uh, up on the stage and a little bit away from the actual, excuse me, ring itself. Uh, and so, I mean, it's just, um, you know, we, we just sit there and we're looking, we're looking down at our monitors and we're watching the match on the monitor and, and, and calling the action. And it's, I mean, I do at least, I mean, I get caught up in the matches and I get to where you, while the match is going on, you kind of forget that there's not a crowd out there. You you know, it's just that that's the thing. The thing that, the thing that uh, I notice the most are the, you know, are the promos or the interviews when the wrestlers come out in front of it, you know, in that empty ring and just get in there and, and they're cutting their promo into the, into the camera. And, you know, talking to the people at home through the, through their televisions. And that, that to me is, uh, I, I, I feel not, not sorry for them because everybody's doing a great job, man. Uh, Drew McIntyre's promos are uh, awesome, I think. And Charlotte Flair last week did, or week before last, last week as well, did real good interviews. Um, uh, Zelina Vega, she's, she is really, really, really good, really talented. And, um, Gosh, of course, this past week, uh, the Street Profits came out, got up on our, got up on our announce table. <laughs> Idiot Byron Saxton gets up and starts dancing. I put out a tweet yesterday saying, dancing? I thought Byron was having a seizure. Uh, he's got the least amount of rhythm of anybody that I've seen, but he, he was, he, he told me after he said, Oh, but oh, King, I can, I can really dance, man. I can really cut a rug. I said, Okay, sure you can. <laughs> but anyway, um, but I, I don't know. The, the, uh, to me, the shows have been uh, have been, you know, basically fun to do and everything. But uh, we look the ratings are every week. It's just I, I just think that that the world and the fans out there are so caught up in the you know in these crazy times that we're in. I mean, what's the all the top rated shows on cable television are news shows, and that's just. Everybody's watching the news every single minute. I, I mean, I and I can't, I can't say anything because that's that's all I watch. You know, that's I get up in the morning, news all day long. I keep it on the, on the news channels all day long, and so, uh, you know, it's just that's just part of the times that we live in. And I, I hope that when things get uh, back to normal, I, I think we're gonna have a, I think we're gonna have a, a task in front of us. Uh, I was talking to somebody uh, yesterday about the fact that I think it's going to be maybe a little tougher than everybody thinks to get the people, uh, get the fans that were kind of uh, drifting away and watching the news every week. It it may be tough to get them back in the habit of watching wrestling on Monday night, you know, for for Monday Night Raw and Friday night for SmackDown. And, um, And we always talk about Memphis wrestling. Uh, and, and you know as well as I do. You, matter of fact, you even mentioned it a while ago, Sean. 
it was a habit. It was a habit in the city of Memphis or in this entire territory. Every Saturday morning, you got up and you turned on the TV and you watched wrestling for 90 minutes. And when the wrestling show was over, boom, then your day started. But it was it was just everybody became creatures of habit and everybody watched the show. And that and that's the way I, I think that I think that wrestling fans are that way. They're creatures of habit. They get in the habit of watching certain things and wrestling. Thank goodness has been one of them all these years, every every Monday night. And uh, sometimes I worry that if you if people get out of the habit, it may be tough to to draw them back in. We're going to have a we're going to have a. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's going to be it's going to be harder than we think, I believe, to to get all those fans back into the habit of being tuning in on Monday night. Yeah, I said to you yesterday that what I would probably try to do, and I'm sure Vince has probably already thought of this, is when you can first do the the first show back at a big arena with a real crowd, just hype it up as being as big as like Raw 1000 or the 25th anniversary, and bring in a Stone Cold or or just anything to kind of announced to the fans that everything's back to normal you can watch it'll be good and i think and i think what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to go outside of the business you're going to have to go outside of the wwe to get that word out because you know you're if you're if you're just talking to the people in the wwe you're preaching to the choir and and a lot of those people have have left and are watching news now so we're going to have to you know we're going to have to get the word back out when it when we're back you know, back to normal or, uh, I mean, I, I, I really think we should be doing some doing more, uh, I don't know, promo promotion for the fact that, you know, I don't, I don't think a lot of people really still realize that, that we are, you know, one of the only live entertainment sports shows on television right now. You know, I wish there was, I wish there was a way to, that we would go outside the business and, and, and do more promotion on that right now. Well, speaking of going outside the business and getting some media, we had an interesting week as the 24-7 champion, Rob Gronkowski, is now a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So he's going to really have to watch crazy? himself out there. Oh, my gosh, that's crazy. And as, as we speak, uh, as we're recording this today, the NFL draft is tonight. And uh, that's that's going to be a unique situation. Is uh, the draft done over the phone or over uh, and people, and people, everybody staying at home and doing the draft. You know what was what was insane was the fact that I just saw some pictures yesterday of the fact that you know last year, one year ago, the NFL draft was in Nashville, Tennessee. Insane. And and there was the pictures were unbelievable of downtown Nashville and Broadway. It was like millions of people just crowded into into Nashville. For the NFL draft, and now all of a sudden this year, it'll, there'll be nobody anywhere. Everybody will be at home for the for the draft. This this thing is just affecting so many. I mean, so many things. Every time you pick up the paper, you know, you know how uh, my buddy Mike Kingston with Headlock Comics. I mean, you know, the comics that he makes has has been his life. He's got another job, but you know, he made these made these comics, and I did a lot of the artwork for him, and some of the wrestlers wrote the stories for him. And you know, Sean, he and I almost not almost on a weekly basis, but several times, uh, a couple times a month, we would go to a different part of the country every weekend for a comic con. 
And all of those things are shut down. Can you imagine? They've canceled the San Diego Comic Con already, oh, which God. was in July. And I mean, yeah, first time in 50 years that that's ever been canceled. Uh, and 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 then and I'm sure the the second biggest is a New York Comic Con, which I think is in October or November. I'm sure that will be probably canceled as well because it's in the Javits Center, and that's now been turned into a big uh, COVID virus, uh, coronavirus hospital. So, you know, they're not going to be able to do a, they're not going to be able to have that thing ready to do a Comic Con there. Just so, so many things are, you know, are different than they were, uh, before this all started. And, and it's just a shame. But yeah, I got off track about, uh, Gronk being back in football. He unretires while he's still holding the 24 seven championship. Uh, and, and, and I don't, I don't know what he, what he's going to do. He's going to become a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. And uh, I, I'm all of a sudden I'm also reading that there are some other uh, great players that have retired apparently too soon and are going to come out of retirement if they can, you know, if they can join up with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just to play with Tom Brady. They, this, this may be the craziest thing ever. Tom Brady may be able to go to Tampa and put together a super team. And and uh, and and make it all the way to the Super Bowl. Would that be the craziest sports story in the history of the world? It would disgust me as a New York Jets fan that's been tortured by Tom Brady for the past eighteen years. I would not be that. That'd be like you know, Roethlisberger for you going somewhere and just dominating. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. I, I, but in reality, I like Ben Roethlisberger. Oh, okay. uh, I'm, yeah, he's a uh, he, he's a he's a good guy. He's a big wrestling fan. You know, he's been to our WWE shows a bunch of times. He's a, Ben himself personally is a cool guy. Pittsburgh Steelers. That's another another story. You know, but and you're right. But I mean, you you hated him because he was New England Patriot. But I mean, you would you would would you care if he made it to the Super Bowl as the NFC uh, champion? I don't know, King. That's not gonna. That's not going to affect your Jets or the AFC at all. There's just a lot of scar tissue from them winning the division 18 out of 19 years and going to, what was it, uh, eight Super Bowls. And, uh, oh, my gosh. It was a crazy run. Um, and the other thing that I'm sad about is that this was supposed to be the year. You were talking about what a great scene it was in Nashville last year. It was going to be in Las Vegas this year. Yeah. On the Strip. Oh, my gosh. All of the Las Vegas casinos are shut down, and that's a, that's the other thing I was just watching on the news yesterday. Apparently, the mayor of Las Vegas, the lady out there that's the mayor, she is chomping at the bit to get this get these things uh, these casinos back open. And uh, I mean, you know who who knows? I mean, I'm 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 certainly for. Uh, I'm, I'm a believer in the fact that we've got to get this economy back or, or it, that could wind up being worse. And I know that people have said it, the cures are worse than the disease. But if we don't get this economy back up and, and run it again, people just don't realize what bad and drastic effects that could have on the entire world. They're already talking on the news yesterday about, you know, this could, this, this economy being shut down, the next thing we're going to is going to cause is a big food famine all over the world, not just here in the United States, but all over the world. And so uh, and and that could cost. This isn't conspiracy talk. This was the U.N. saying this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could cost more lives than this uh, than the virus ever thought about doing, you know. So 
it's a it's a weird situation. But yeah, the the lady, the the Las Vegas mayor wants to get the casinos back open. I'm just talking on the phone. I'm, matter of fact, I'm going to do uh, I'm going to do a Instagram live today with my friends from down in that I work with down at Fitzgerald's Casino uh, down here in in Lula, Mississippi. They may, um, you know, they're, they're, they're in the same situation. They're just sitting there with a huge, beautiful casino and, uh, having to be closed. So, you know, they're, uh, they're really looking forward to getting that thing back open as is everybody. I mean, not just, uh, for the casino to be open, but you know, for people, the people that have the old cabin fever, they're wanting to get out of their house. They want to get out and everything, but. I don't know, man. It's it's just uh, the, we talked about this. The, the oldest curse in the in the world is may you live in interesting times, and that uh, that is exactly what we're doing. We're living through some interesting times now. Well, let's talk about something a little more fun and crazy, and something I think you're going to be announcing probably are these Money in the Bank uh, ladder matches at uh, the pay per view coming up, being on top of the corporate headquarters or have, they have to fight their way up to the top of the corporate headquarters. Uh, what are yeah. your thoughts on what we have coming up at money in the bank? It sounds like we got another crazy thing coming for us. Just like WrestleMania. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the, the couple of those crazy matches at WrestleMania, the boneyard match, especially was so well received. And I have a, I have a feeling that this is going to be this, this match at money in the bank match is going to be, Maybe filmed in that same, uh, I, I, I don't even know what you would call it, that same style as the Boneyard match was. You know, um, I think it's almost going to, when the fans are watching it, it's almost going to appear like a movie, uh, so to speak. I, I, that's, that's what I've heard, you know, so, but once again, this is, this is the way things change on such a daily basis. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know exactly. If all of the if all of the um, matches are going to be at the headquarters, or if part of them are going to be at the headquarters and part of them are going to be at the uh, performance center, it's it's just one of those deals. You never know. <laughs> Everything changes in the WWE on a not just on a daily basis, but from hour to hour. And so they really haven't told, uh, at least they haven't told me or or the announcers yet where we're going to be. Uh, right now, I, I'm. I'm I'm prepared to head to the performance center on that uh, on that Sunday, uh, but I haven't been told yet if I'm if we're going to have to where we're going to have to be. It could be Stanford or it could be Orlando. Very interesting. Whoever came up with that idea is is thinking uh, that is a way to take a, a terrible circumstance and uh, make it very very interesting. Uh, just got to get yeah. it for that. I, I, I've always been a fan of the Money in the Bank uh, pay per view and that whole concept. I mean, you know, it's it's just it's just a cool thing to have that that the guys uh, the superstars fighting over that briefcase that has the contract in it. And that contract, of course, once the whoever gets that contract, it's good for a championship match anytime, any place that they want to cash that contract in. And I can I can just so remember so many times over the years, you know, how that how that contract comes into play. Uh, I can remember several times that we talked about it this past week with with uh, Kane cashing in 
the night that he won it and, and winning, then winning the world title from Rey Mysterio, the very night that he won the money in the bank contract. Uh, and then we've had people that have, have waited almost an entire year to cash it in, you know, to come out week after week and threaten to threaten to do it and then to start to change their mind and go back and everything. So it's, it's a cool concept and it just, it helps you know, you can create so many storylines off of that thing. Uh, and, and this year, the, the, the ladder match, the money in the bank match itself is something that's never, and of course we love this in the WWE, uh, every, anytime there's something that has never happened before, even if it's just two wrestlers that have never uh, faced any time, it, it never faced anybody or each other before, we always, you know, we, we always have to bring that to the forefront. We have to say, say, this has never been seen before. Or this has never been done before. And, and, and so this, this type of match is certainly a first. Can you imagine going into there? And this is another thing. I, I've been, I've been with a company for since 1993. What is that? 27 years? Yeah. Yeah. 27 years. You know how many times I've been into the corporate headquarters? I have no idea. I think. Once again, here goes my memory, but I think three times. Hmm. So you stayed out of trouble. That's good. And I used, to, yeah, yeah. I always, I always looked at having to go to the corporate headquarters was like going to the principal's office. I didn't, I never wanted to have to really be called into there, right? But now I would go every single week for years and years and years. Every week I'd fly up to New York and then and then on up to Stanford and do my do what I had to do. At the TV studios, which the, the TV headquarters are there as well, but they're in a separate, separate building and a separate, separate side of town. Actually, they're in a whole separate uh, uh, set of buildings than the actual headquarters itself. And uh, but the headquarters is this big, big uh, glass building on the side of the interstate 95 there. I mean, when you're, if you're ever going up through Stanford, Connecticut on I 95, you can't miss it. I mean, you know, there's the big, big glass building on the side of the, right on the side of the interstate. And there's the, the big American flag flying and the big WWE flag flying on top of the building. Uh, now they're going to have this, <laughs> this, this night, they're going to have those two flags flying and they're going to have a, probably have a, briefcase hanging between those two flags on the top of that building so I, I i'm i'm i know i'm looking forward to seeing it i don't know i can, i just don't know what to expect it should be great yeah i think everybody is this is something that uh has gotten pretty much universal praise because people want to see what could possibly happen in this it's like a diehard meets pro wrestling after the boneyard match um it was uh, a couple things on raw that were interesting uh, Zelina Vega put in like a, a Jimmy Hart type of Saturday morning back in the day. She was all over that show managing multiple people yes. and feuding with the top face. Yeah, that's good. I, I like it. I mean, you know, I, I I can't tell you how many people will come up to me and say, uh, you know, we miss we miss managers. I miss the days of Jimmy Hart and, and Captain Lou Albino and all of the, you know, the, the famous managers, Jim Cornette and different, uh, different managers. And of course you got Paul Heyman, but, uh, I, I can remember there was a time when everybody, almost everybody had a manager and a lot of people kind of, kind of missed those days. And, and, uh, so it, it was, it's good to see Zelina out there being so, you know, so out, out front as, as she was. And she's, I, like I said earlier, she's, she's great. 
I mean, she's just a really talented young lady and, and very beautiful and very charismatic. And, and she's got, a, I think, a big future for her there. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely pulling a lot of weight right now with these shows. And uh, the other thing, I'm, I'm disappointed that we don't get to see the crowd responses to Drew McIntyre because it seems to me that uh, this experiment of having him be the top guy on Raw is going well. Um, I wish we could see crowds like really, you know, going crazy for him to have that confirmed. But it seems like things are going very well for me or, or for the company for uh, for Drew. Yeah, I think I think Drew is going to be. Uh... Big, a big, big star, and uh, you know, barring any unforeseen uh, circumstance, I think he may hold that title for a long time. And and he just, uh, you know, he's he looks like he could be the guy uh, for a while now. I mean, I, I don't see, I don't, I don't see any any negatives to Drew McIntyre yet. I mean, so. Uh, uh, and you know the great thing is he's such a nice and genuinely a nice good guy as John Cena was. John John was a genuinely a a, a really nice good guy and 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 I think Drew McIntyre is the is the same way. So I, I'm 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 really happy for Drew to for him to be in this position. Are we not going to talk about the uh, the elephant in the room there from last week? Oh, go ahead. The, <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I said the word ramen noodles on on uh, on Raw, and next thing you know, the internet blows up, and I'm a, I'm a big racist. So let me go back and explain what I was what I was doing, and w- why it was the, being racist was the furthest thing from my mind. Um, it, it all boils it, it all boils down to back in I think 2016. Uh, there was a time when I was doing commentary with Mauro, Mauro Ranallo, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and that was new to me when they put, they put the two of us together. I, I had not, I'd never worked with Mauro before and he's, he's a ton of fun to work with. I mean, he's got such energy and, you know, he's, and, and has done all of these, all of the boxing and he had done all the new Japan or the Japan wrestling stuff and everything. And such a brain. I mean, this guy had such knowledge of all of this, of all of these, uh, wrestling moves that came out of Japan. Uh, can you, can you, Sean? I mean, I, I mean, I can't even, I can't even think of one right now, but th- can you just think of a couple of names of some crazy moves that, you know, that they obviously made up over in Japan, some, some like these sentons or something like that. And if, by the way, if you look up the word senton, it's not even in the dictionary. It's, it's you know, it's, so it's a, it's a made up wrestling term, right? Yeah, I'd have to think back to my 90s Japanese wrestling fandom days of the, uh, the, the, the Tiger Bomb and, or the Tiger Driver and the the Orange Crush and the Emerald Frozen and all these different things they had. Uh, yeah, the- yeah. Okay. Well, see, that's what was happening to me in 2016. I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm we're calling a match. And, of course, tomorrow, all of a sudden, out of the blue, somebody this guy does a move, which I've been in the business 50 years. And I don't know the names of these these crazy moves, right? I've seen him for the first time, and all of a sudden, the guy does a move, and Morrow says, oh, there's the Orange Crush Tiger Bombs, blah, 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 uh, Centon, and I'm going, I'm thinking in my mind, he's somebody's just making these crazy names up, right? 
because I like I said, I've been around forever and I never heard him call that. So um, I sat down back in 2016 and I wrote down some I, I just made up some names of of what I thought would be funny moves to to go back at Morrow when he called it a, when he made a real name for, you know, when he called one of these moves a real thing that whatever it was supposed to be over Japan. Then I came, I said, oh, I would say something like, uh, oh, the, oh, there's the uh, ramen noodle, uh, ramen noodle moonsault. Of course, Mora would just, oh, King, you know, that's no such thing or blah, blah, blah. And then we would just go on. So I was doing it just to, uh, you know, to to uh, play devil's advocate with Mora. I said, oh, my gosh, there's a ramen noodle moonsault. And, of course, if... If I was still doing commentary with Michael Cole or Jr., we had the chemistry to where you know each one of those guys would have known that I was just making a foolish, uh, making a, a almost like making a fool out of myself by claiming that I was acting like I knew what this uh, this uh, unbelievable looking move was, right? And then they would have just said, either Cole or Jr. would have said, "Oh, King, you know better than that," or uh, "Don't don't even start with something like that," you know. But we just uh, with with Byron and with Tom, you know, we don't have that chemistry yet. You know, we only been working together a short time. So when I said that, they didn't even acknowledge it. So it just kind of went out there, and they and they just kept talking, and and then then I kept talking, and next thing you know, I, but I didn't think anything about it either. Well, I think the important distinction is that you reviewing it as you still playing kind of a or portraying a, a heel buffoonish uh, announcer, and the joke was on you. Right. The joke was on you for right. being behind the times and not knowing. You know, it's like the the joke wasn't supposed to just. You, you wouldn't go on Raw and just do a racist joke on live TV. I mean, the, the terrible idea, obviously. No, the joke, like you said, that that's the part. That's where me, Bobby Heenan, uh, Jesse Ventura, all of the the heel commentators, you do that sort of stuff, and the and the joke is on is on yourself, and that's how you you know that's that, that, so that the people out there are going, listen to that idiot, he, he doesn't even know what he's talking about, and he thinks he does. I mean, that's that's where the joke was. Angel Garza, this guy's really come quickly from NXT, and it, it just feels like a star, and is headlining Raw with uh, Drew McIntyre. Yeah, I, I'm, and that's what uh, the, you know. That's, and I don't know if it's because of uh, Zelina, but I mean that little stable that she's put together. All of those three guys are really Andrade and and Garza and Austin Theory. Those those three guys, there, they all have the p- potential to be big stars. I think. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that pretty much covers Raw. We, uh, we once again just wanted to send our condolences to, to everybody affected by the, the passing of Scott Bowden. Uh, just a terrible, way too premature thing. And uh, I know you're, you're going to be off to Orlando again on Monday, right? Heading down again Monday, yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody. Thank you, King. And we'll be back next week.